everyone. This is Caitlin. And this is Jessica. And this is Calling All Spirits. How are you doing, Jess? I am doing good. Just back from a week with my family for Thanksgiving, which is always so nice. And just getting to the country and... It's just beautiful, and they actually have leaves that change colors. <laughs> In I Texas? Know. I don't understand. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I've never appreciated it so much, but, like, every day I just took videos and pictures of trees because down in, like, Houston, they're all still green. Like, there's yeah, no, no change whatsoever. I was in Houston for Thanksgiving, and it was raining nonstop for several days mm-hmm. in a row. I'm still oh impressed that we got the food inside without it getting soaking wet, because it was raining buckets. Oh, I know. It was it was there, too. But when it was pretty, like, leaves were actually falling, and That's they were reds. So and nice. I mean, you know when you feel like you're getting older, and it's like, I just want to look at trees. <laughs> like, I feel like I'm entering that older age category where you're just amazed by that (laughs) i can't judge you i was excited to be going to maryland and south carolina in october so i could actually see fall (laughs) so no judgment from here oh my gosh and so it was just really oh and in the mornings there'd be like deer in the backyard and it was just lovely and super exciting I got to have coffee, well, first of all, with some of my best friends, but also some wonderful new friends that I am meeting there, and they're listeners to the podcast. <gasps> so that's so I cool. know. So they're very sweet friends, but also they listen, and they were like, okay, I'm just going to put it out there, they want to get you to Paris. They're like, Caitlin has to come to Paris. And so their idea, you know who you are, is to... <laughs> go to all these haunted places in Paris I know oh and by the way this is Paris Texas before anybody gets like super excited (laughs) yeah no I'm not we're not up and going to France I do not have that funding I mean if you all want (laughs) if you want to fund our podcast we are working on that process as we speak but uh, for the time being we do not have the funds to go to France Yes, no. Uh, this is this is just a different part of Texas, so it's still several hours of driving, but it's uh, significantly closer. It is, and it does have its own Eiffel Tower with the cowboy hat on top. So, I mean, we can at least see an Eiffel Tower. I know, <laughs> but no, their idea, they want to go see all the haunted places in Paris and have us go with them. And they're like, it could be a whole podcast. So that is the goal: is to get you to Paris. Heck yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I know. I couldn't wait to tell you about that. And they were so sweet and lovely. Like some, one of the girls I've met online and through different things and another I've I've known for a little bit, but it was so cool to actually get to sit down and have coffee and talk all things ghostly and mediumship, but just everything we love, like all the fun stuff. That's awesome. That's a great way to spend some time and like actually get to talk to some of the fans. I'm so excited for I know. The fact that we have fans is awesome as it is. It is. I was over here proud of the fact or happy with the fact that uh, a friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in a while actually because we used to work together and we don't anymore and she got busy and I got busy. Uh, We grabbed coffee the other day because her her family lives here um, on the other side of Austin. And I realized I hadn't told her about the podcast yet. And oh my gosh. She probably downloaded all of the episodes so she could listen to them all at once. That's amazing. That's, I love it. I love it. So, yeah, it's so cool to be making these connections and real friends and friendships. And so it's, 
But yes, so that's a plan for the future. We were just talking about 2023 and future episodes. That may have to be one of them. Absolutely here for that. That sounds awesome. Like, I don't I don't have a good reason anyway to say no, but also that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> well, and you know, my parents want to get you out to the farm and they're like, anytime she wants to come out, she can come out. So they would love that too. And um, I love your parents. They're awesome. I'm pretty lucky. I got some pretty great ones and they're probably listening too, which is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I forget. Like, I know obviously that I know them in person, but I forget they listen to it too. (laughs) I know. And they hear me talking about how much I love them as people. Um, (laughs) So I'm not gunning for compliments or better treatment. I promise this is legitimately how I feel about y'all because you're fabulous. Oh, so it was good. But what about you? How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, Thanksgiving was very wet. Uh, Like I said, I was in Houston, (laughs) but I feel very validated in my choices because Bree and I, we years ago, we used to have to work on Friday of Thanksgiving. So like we couldn't Mm -hmm. go anywhere because where you you drive six hours in Texas, you can drive six hours back on the same day, like hard pass. But we had a friend in Houston whose family was there and they adopt stray people like stray birds. They're like, if you don't have anywhere to go on Thanksgiving, come here. Like they are very insistent on that. And so just for the last like six or seven years, uh, me, Brie and Joey always go there for Thanksgiving. And it makes my mom kind of sad. She's like, don't you want to come up here? We're like, no, we we, want to go to their house. We we love you, but we want to go to their house for Thanksgiving. We'll go to your house for Christmas. There it's like, you go. There it's like you divorced go. parents. I mean, I have divorced <laughs> parents, but I never go see my dad anyway. Yeah. But yeah, we'll go to their house for Thanksgiving. We'll go to mom's house for Christmas. And it's just very entertaining because they yeah. are super engaging people. And I love talking to them. And it's just, it's. Bree and I stopped liking Thanksgiving years ago because, yeah, like as you get older, your cousins kind of grow up and not everyone can make Thanksgiving at the same time. Right. And so like we didn't want to do Thanksgiving anymore. It was exhausting. And then we met this family. We're like, heck yeah, Thanksgiving is awesome. Like still don't still still don't like the the, the conflicted history and the uh, (laughs) the stories we tell kids in elementary school are a little bit weird. But um, the chance to go hang out with them for a couple of hours and talk about things is awesome. Oh, well, that's wonderful. I love that. Well, yeah. very good. It's like family by choice. And I felt super validated in my choice because I was talking to my boss about it this morning. And she uh-huh. was also in Houston for Thanksgiving. And she hated it. She was ne- around her family and they got rained into two different buildings on her uncle's ranch. And she was oh, like, no, no, my Thanksgiving sucked. I'm like, that's because you hung out with family. You should have done what I did. <laughs> She cracked oh up. That is too funny. Yeah. We actually got rain up in Paris too, all which was tough with a five year old, a, a four year old, and like a two year old. That wasn't fun all day when they couldn't get out. Um, but we did it. Um, but yeah, it rained all up there too. It was just it was kind of a mess. <laughs> We are pretty confident that we can blame our friends from the UK because we had another longtime friend get married on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Uh-huh. And so to come out for the wedding, like they came in from, I think, Manchester is where they were for a time. I know it's where they fly uh-huh. out of, but I can't remember what town they live in. And they flew in Sunday and they stayed over Thanksgiving and they left on Saturday. Oh. They got here. The rain started. They left. The rain stopped. <laughs> and when they got home, it was raining. How funny. They brought so, it with them. They brought it with them. They're a little bit salty because they weren't able to go to Galveston since, you know, if you Aww. sneeze on Galveston, it floods. 
Yeah. But we got to spend lots of time with them, which was fabulous. Oh, my gosh. Well, hey, no, it, it was crazy. We kept thinking, oh, tomorrow will be prettier, and it kept raining. And it was cold. So it was like in the 40s when I left on Sunday. When I got to Houston, it's like, wait, it's going to be in the 80s? Like, what? I'm so sad that it was warm today. It was like 73 while I was at work. Yeah. I'm like, no, it's supposed to be 42. It is now December. Like we called it though. We knew November would be yeah. cold and then December would be back to balmy. Like yeah. my birthday is in a few days and it's warm outside and I am not happy about this. And I feel like all our listeners or friends in the Northeast are like, we hate you. Like, like we hate you. <laughs> I say this with zero shade, y'all. Tradesies. Like, absolutely, <laughs> I would trade you. I did my year in Pennsylvania. It was negative 20 degrees the year I was there, and I would still take that over the endless summer that is Texas. No question. I know. I, I know. And I'm, like, not even kidding. Like, I'm, like, I will probably be in shorts on Wednesday because it's going to be, like, 81. Like, what is that? It's, uh, it's, it's a dumb bummer. and I don't like it. And I think that's <laughs> a lot of it. It's, like, when you have a really solid winter, you appreciate summer. When <laughs> summer doesn't leave, familiarity breeds contempt. And I have great contempt for the endless summer that is here all year long. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point though in happier news i learned how to carbonate uh vodka today what wait what <laughs> so um in an effort to kind of like reduce my carbon footprint because i really yeah. like sparkling water since it helps when my stomach's upset uh-huh joey was researching things and like a it's gonna be way more cost efficient for us to have a drink mate and then b right i don't have to worry about like whether or not the bottles actually get recycled the shipping costs are, aren't nearly the same all uh-huh. of those things are like it's diminished environmental impact for me to have a drink mate. Uh-huh. And then he pointed out you can carbonate adult beverages. Oh. And since the lemonade I wanted to mix today had pulp in it, I was like, well, what happens if I carbonate the vodka instead? And it worked? It worked. It was very strange. It uh, <laughs> I ended up having to add some carbonated water to it as well for the mix to sit yeah. right. But it was... It was very weird, but it's very fun to be able to do. Like, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to play with this in the future because my little gremlin brain is like, ooh, what can we add carbon to? <laughs> and today's choice was vodka. <laughs> the problem is that it was not good vodka. Oh. My stepdad was clearing out the, the liquor stash while they're moving to a mm. different part of Texas. And he's like, here's liquor bottles I don't want anymore. And it's... It's an inexpensive vodka, which is why I didn't feel bad experimenting with it. But <laughs> right. I'm thinking perhaps a better vodka might make a better drink in the future. Ooh, I like it. You'll have to do some gin for me. See if that one works. Gin for you. Um, next time I come visit you, I'm bringing it with me <laughs> and we can carbonate the gin together. I love it. I love it. Oh, gosh. And we could drink to this episode because gin would be appropriate. <laughs> it would. I mean, tea may be better, but I... I like gin. So I mean, you have a teacup that says gin. So like, I think it's suitable either way. <laughs> it's your teacup. Why is this killing you? I don't know. But that lit- I, I literally almost choked on that. <laughs> I don't know why that cracked me up, but it did. <laughs> Okay, I'm back. Just, oh my God. Well, as I choke, I'm about to join our topic in the afterlife. 
No, you're not allowed to choke and die. I will be very, very cranky if I have to hold this entire podcast via Ouija board in the future. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Maybe on that note, we should just jump right in. <laughs> I think that's a spectacular idea. <laughs> I love it. And I'm super excited because Christmas is coming up. We're about to be in December. And so we wanted some very festive topics. And I mean, what is more Christmas than A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens? I have no answer for that. I think it is the Christmasiest, Christmassy thing that ever Christmased. Yes. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to do a little bit about Charles Dickens himself because he was really interested in ghosts. And we're also going to talk about some of his more famous ghost stories because it was not just a Christmas carol. There were many. Exactly. And like... It, it doesn't really occur to you until you think about it, or at least it, it occurred to me and I couldn't drop the concept, but like the most done and talked about Christmas stories are, well, the Nutcracker, which I absolutely right. love. And then mm-hmm. A Christmas Carol, like you don't always associate ghosts and dead people with Christmas and yet. <laughs> exactly. The most famous one is A Christmas Carol. Like I know that there's a lot of associations with the veil and everything and other uh, solstice mm-hmm. celebrations of this time of year but as far as like classic Christmas is concerned this is the one and it's it's all m- memories ghosts and dead people <laughs> <laughs> that should just be on the back of the book what is it about <laughs> I love it I love it well on that note we'll just get started So Charles Dickens, of course, was a great British novelist who is considered one of the most important and influential writers of the 19th century. And of course, over the years, he authored the beloved classics such as Oliver Twist, David Copperfield, A Tale of Two Cities, and of course, A Christmas Carol, just to name a few. And his work has really been praised because it provided a portrait of Victorian era lower classes, which helped bring about really important social change because it really brought awareness to this. And you're going to see why that was so important to him as we kind of go through his life and especially his childhood. And of course, if we hadn't mentioned it already, he was absolutely fascinated with ghosts. And we're going to be talking about that. So let's dive on in. So Charles John Huffman Dickens. That is a long name. I had no idea his middle names. Like legitimately never even occurred to me to look. I I didn't until I looked this up. But there you go. He was born on February 7th, 1812 in Portsmouth on the southern coast of England. He was the second of eight children to John Dickens, who was a naval clerk, and Elizabeth Barrow, an aspiring teacher and school director. Now, in 1817, the Dickens family moved to Chatham, and this is really kind of considered some of the happiest years of his childhood. While the family was by no means wealthy, but they had a really happy home. They were doing well, um, and the children were free to roam around this beautiful area and even explore the old castle Rochester, which just sounds so cool. And during this time, Charles was going to school. He loved reading He had many friends, so it was a really happy childhood. Now, in 1822, the Dickens family is going to move back to London, and that's really when his life took a turn for the worse. So the family fell on very hard times financially, 
And a young Charles Dickens was forced to leave school to work at Warren's Blacking Factory to help support his family. And he's around 10 years old when this happens. So really little kid. He earned six shillings a week labeling pots of blacking, which was a substance used oftentimes as boot polish. Now, to make it worse, Dickens' own father was sent to prison for debt, and the family home had to be sold, and actually his mother and siblings were forced to go and live in the prison with their father, which sounds crazy, but that was not unusual Yeah, in these circumstances. Like, sometimes the families would just, they would get to leave, but... That's where they'd be. It was their shelter in the evening was the prison. Yeah. Now, poor Charles, who was working at the blacking factory, this factory was so far away from the prison that Charles couldn't get back to get, couldn't get back to the prison before the gates were shut for the night because he had to travel so far. So this little guy is like 10 years old is sleeping at a cheap boarding house at night mm. by himself. I know. I just... Oh, that's so sad. I mean, I'm glad he could afford to sleep at the boarding house. Like, it could definitely have been worse. But, like, poor buddy. I know. I mean, when you want to be back at the prison, I get it. I get it. He's by himself. Not shockingly, this experience is going to traumatize the young Dickens and greatly influence his later works. Uh Uh-huh. But what I found interesting was one source I read said that this whole experience in his early life was essentially kept a secret. For a long time. Like, he didn't really talk about it. He didn't go into detail on it. I mean, later it came out, but it wasn't something he was just really open with for a long time. After this is over, thankfully Dickens was, um, because his father does get released, so that's a wonderful thing. Um, His father received a family inheritance, and he used that to pay off his debts. And then Dickens was allowed to go back to school, and life was kind of good again. But at the age of 15, Dickens was again forced to leave school to work as an office boy to contribute to his family's income. But luckily, this would actually become the launching point for his writing career. So there is a good thing that came out of that. Now, Charles Dickens first started off as a freelance reporter at the Law Courts of London. And just a few years later, he was reporting for two major London newspapers In 1833, he began submitting sketches to various magazines and newspapers under the pseudonym Boz, B-O-Z. And in 1836, his clippings were published in his first book, Sketches of Boz. So Dickens also began publishing the posthumous papers of the Pickwick Club. It was a series that began as captions for artist Robert Seymour's humorous sports-themed illustrations, Um, That took the form of monthly and serial installments. So what's kind of funny, so he was just supposed to write a caption for these really funny pictures, but the captions actually became much more popular than the pictures themselves. So people were really just looking to see what did he write, which is great. Now, he later became the editor of magazines, including Household Words and All the Year Round. So he's moving on up in the publishing world. During this time, he also got married to Catherine Hogarth. Around the time his first book, Sketches by Boz, was published, and the couple had 10 children. So, big family. He's also traveling the world because he's growing more popular. So, in 1842, Dickens and his wife Catherine embarked on a five-month lecture tour of the United States. 
And during this American tour, he spoke of his opposition actually to slavery and expressed his support for additional reform. So he's not just talking about his books, social reformer as well. Now, he received this great welcome and his lectures in America were widely, widely attended. But this is what I think is so funny. So apparently he wasn't really excited or impressed with the American people and he really heavily criticized them which did not go over well. So then he had to do a second U.S. tour to set things right with the American public. So they still loved him. I mean, dude, people are showing up from all over. Like, maybe not criticize them. Did you see what it was about the people in America that he didn't care for? I did. And to be honest, I didn't write that down. Like, I read through it. But I think it was just like their manners and just kind of Americans in general. Because I know sometimes we come off as a little more like... I don't know, is it gruff or not as refined? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, there was like, like a, oh, because I remember hearing about it in one of my college classes, but I could not remember mm-hmm. what it was. And so I was hoping you remembered. It looks like with a quick Google search, it's very much our lack of manners. Yeah, that's I thought it was something just Americans being Americans. We're <laughs> like... crass and uncouth and we don't follow the refinement of what the lower classes of London that he wrote about anyway. Like you'd think we'd be more fodder for another book instead of being like lectured. Exactly. Cause when I was reading through, maybe that's why it didn't stick in my head. Cause it wasn't like anything like, Oh, that's what happened. It was just Americans being American. <laughs> I will grant him this one. Apparently uh, uh, he found Americans malodorous, like our smell, which I mean, everyone smelled at that time. Like, I was about Europeans to say. and Americans, we did not bathe enough. Exactly. But ill-mannered and invading his privacy. As a nosy broad, I have to admit <laughs> that invading privacy is a problem that we have. We want to know everybody's business, and that's a problem. Very true. Well, thank you for looking that up. Yeah. So he also, during this time, he's traveling to Italy as well. So he's kind of all over. And throughout his career, Charles Dickens published a total of 15 novels, including... Of course, the beloved classics we mentioned before. And we're going to get into some of those. Many of Dickens' stories actually talked about spirits and phantoms and specters. It wasn't just a Christmas carol. He didn't stop there. And of course, during this time, Victorians were itching to be spooked. And Dickens was very quick to oblige them. They said he was a master ghost storyteller And during his lifetime, he published over 20 ghost stories, starting in 1836. And this also included With a Christmas Carol, Signal Man, Bleak House, The Chimes, and more. And I was able to take some time and read a few of these. I feel like I've been cramming for a lit class midterm for the last week and a half because I've crammed (laughs) so much Dickens into my brain. But I will share that at least when it comes to Nicholas Nickleby and Bleak House, I have the same problem with Dickens that I do with Austin, like Jane Austen specifically. Mm -hmm. I can't keep the names straight. I need to watch the movie first so I have names (laughs) to faces and I can keep everything straight in my mind. So I ended up watching one of the BBC miniseries for Bleak House that was cast by like half the people in Doctor Who. But... (laughs) Based on what I understand of his writing and the eight hours this miniseries was, I think they basically just took out all of the scene setting and stage directions and verbatim wrote down all of the dialogue into this movie. Oh, wow. I could be wrong, but it was very well done. And 
then I was able to take some time to read The Chimes, Signal Man, and A Trial of Murder. And it's it's very much clear how much he's fascinated with the different ways that ghosts are. Because, Mm -hmm. like, we all know how the ghosts are in A Christmas Carol. Like, we start with Marley... And then we have the ghost of Christmas past, present, and future. So mm-hmm. we have very influential spirits. And then in, like, Bleak House, the ghost is a portent of bad things to come. Like, mm. if the ghost is found or is heard on the ghost walk, then the family's about to have a social downfall. And then in uh, The Chimes, it was very much like The Others. Did you ever see the Nicole Kidman movie yes. where they were the ones doing the haunting? Yes. So spoilers, anyone who hasn't read this book that's over 150 (laughs) years old. But it's a wonderful story about this guy who actually it's probably more like it's a wonderful life. But instead of not being born, he he's fascinated by the chimes. He loves the chimes. He has a relationship with the chimes. And he goes up to the chimes one day, like up into the tower, and he's confronted with the ghost of the chimes. And then he sees that he's fallen to his death. And then he's fast forwarded mm. 10 years. He sees his daughter grown up. He sees um, a child that he had taken in along with her father into their house one day, all grown up. Life is terrible, but good. Life is in chaos. And then he wakes up from a dream where his daughter is still like 12 years old and the little girl that they took into the house is still a little girl. And it's very much like you can see the influence you have on people kind of story. And then like the signal man is like something out of Ghostbusters where (laughs) the guy who is receiving the, the, the indicators from the trains to like let the tracks shift over. Mm -hmm. He's getting so many messages throughout the day that are not real that he has to like go out and check and then he'll then he'll be back in his room and then he'll hear the real ones and he'll go ahead and he'll move the tracks around. But then like the plot twist is that the the storyteller, which is Dickens basically, but he doesn't have a name in the story as far as I know, he is talking about how he's also hearing the the signal that isn't real and he's seeing the guy who's waving the move the tracks by all that is holy signal. Like he's waving his arms and Dickens' character is seeing it as well as the signal man who's seeing it. And they're like, well, I mean, it's not real and it's not a thing we do. And then it turns out that like three days later, the signal man dies because he didn't see and hear a train coming that had like, by all that is holy, changed the tracks, waving the arms, sending the signal. And so the narrator's like, that's, that's what we heard. That's the exact thing that we were convinced wasn't real. Which is super trippy. That's crazy. And then the trial of murder. I actually really want to get your husband's uh, take on. Ooh, yeah. Uh, It's very short and I have it on Audible because I have Uh the attention span of nothing. Uh, (laughs) But it's basically there's a murder trial where the narrator sees the murder take place in a vision. Because like he, he knows that this happened and then he's like seeing it happen in his mind's eye. And then the murder victim keeps appearing to the jurors. Oh, what oh my gosh which if you look at the spectrum of kinds of spirits you can have in a story he ticks so many different kinds of spirits that have way vastly different kind of influences on the people that they're haunting or influencing like it's so in impressive that he has such different people like the only thing i can think to compare it to is like 12 years ago now, I was learning how to throw pottery on a pottery wheel. 
and mm-hmm. it completely confused and blew away the teacher that I was making different vessels of completely different shapes. I wasn't figuring uh-huh. out how to make a bowl and then making 30 bowls and then figuring out how to make a vase and then making 30 vases. I made like right. two of one thing, three of another thing. And it was all very different because you, you're you not surprised by this at all. I got distracted <laughs> and I wanted to try something new with the clay. <laughs> and apparently it's really common for people to do the thing where they find a way to make one form and they make it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I anticipated with Dickens and his spirits. Like I thought he'd write the same ghost over and over again. And he right. didn't. All of the spirits are such vastly different characters it's really impressive and it's almost like not what spirits did he pull from in his interactions with the spirit world which may have been the case but like right oh like i know that his childhood influenced his writing and and his interest in the spirit world influences writing but dang dude these are all completely different people in ghostly form and i'm just super blown away by how well they're all written that is so cool and because i didn't know i mean of course i knew a christmas carol but i didn't know about the other ones like what they were about i had a rough idea so that's fascinating the chimes were really i don't know it's like it is like a wonderful life but that's also really creepy to think he looked down and he had fallen to his death like that's i don't know they're all spooky but the signal man sounds really spooky too yeah i think you definitely enjoy the chimes and the signal man the most the trial of murder i had to listen to twice fortunately it's only a half an hour long in the recording (laughs) i had and i still only mostly followed it because my brain kept wandering yeah which is part of why i want your your spouse's uh input on it because it's (laughs) it's english law in the mid 1800s but also I stopped paying attention and need someone to hit me over the head and remind me of what's going on. <laughs> but no, like in Bleak House is, so for contrast, Bleak House is a 33 hour audiobook. Wow. So if you're motivated, I know that the Houston or the Harris County Public Library has an audiobook you can borrow. <laughs> I firmly recommend subscribing to BritBox and just watching the miniseries. It's a lot easier to follow. But. Nice. The Chimes, Signal Man, and Trial of Murder are really short and relatively relatively easy to follow. I think The Chimes was two and a half hours long. Oh, that's not bad. And isn't that one set around Christmas time? Because it's like his other Christmas ghost story. Like, he didn't it's, just have yeah. one. Um, this one's actually a New Year's story. Oh, it's New Year's. Okay, I knew it was sometime around Christmas. Okay, New Year's. Yeah, it's a really wow. good one. Um, I think I definitely liked that one and The Signal Man the best out of the ones that I was reading and watching. Because they were, I mean, listening to the signal, man, I was like, I kept seeing Ghostbusters, especially the one from 2015 where they're in the subway. Oh, how funny. I kept seeing that happen in my mind, which made it very funny in my head. But as far as actual stories go, I think the chimes, I may Mm. actually like the story of the chimes more than I like the story of a Christmas carol. Interesting. I've also overseen and overheard a Christmas carol, so I have a very tainted view when it comes to... uh, oversaturation of the market if you will (laughs) (laughs) yes oh okay so that's everyone's homework this winter is to read or listen to the chimes yes and for anyone who's interested the i don't know if it's still available because i got it a couple years ago actually i i told brie about it and she was very much condescending to me because i was trying to figure out where in the libraries i could borrow a copy of the chimes Mm -hmm. audible had had a free deal that came out a couple years ago that i had gotten like, I had a copy of it on hand in my Audible library, and 
it was read by one of the characters from the Hobbit movies. Uh huh. And Brianna was like, "You knew you had Richard Armitage reading the chimes in your Audible. I knew you had this in your library. <laughs> what is wrong with you?" And so I felt terrible and stupid. But for those of you who are interested, it is out there. He is an excellent narrator, and I definitely recommend it. I love it. Well, very cool. Well, thank you for sharing more about those because that's going to come in handy as we talk about this a little bit more. Because what I found really interesting, speaking of these stories, was that Dickens would also perform his ghostly tales in front of audience, like live audiences. It said that he performed a Christmas carol reading 127 times. And that when he performed the chimes, he recalled in a letter to his wife, and this is in quotes about how he had left a guest sobbing and crying on the sofa as I read, you would have felt as I did what a thing it is to have power. That's what he said about making this poor woman like hysterical. <laughs> like he loved it. Oh like, my goodness. Like, yes, you're that good a writer, but like the relish that he has. Yes. The delight he took it like I brought her to tears. Which at first I'm like, oh my gosh. And then I'm like, wait, when I decorate that old house and make it really spooky and people get freaked out, I'm like, I love it. Like, I'm, I'm kind of like Dickens. I'm like, yes, we got them. Yeah, that's fair. So I, that's... I totally kind of get it. Maybe we're all weird and twisted. <laughs> and then you know, like... the story of the chimes, if it was emotional tears of like, you know, yeah. happiness, joy, and valuing family, I can... I can kind of see, because people cry at, like, It's a Wonderful Life mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. stuff as well. So, no, that's fair. That's fair. I can definitely see somebody <laughs> crying at that. Right. So I just want to throw those in because those are really interesting tidbits. So to answer the question, why so many ghost stories? We hinted at Dickens had been fascinated with spirits for most of his life. And it really started with his childhood. So Charles Dickens claimed that memories of his childhood were responsible for most of the dark corners of his mind. Dickens vividly recalled the terrifying bedtime tells that his nanny, Miss Mercy, inflicted, I love how the author said, inflicted on his impressionable mind. <laughs> I just love it. So one of the nanny's favorite tells was about Captain Murderer, a gruesome tell that she told while in quotes, clawing the air with both hands and uttering a long, low, hollow groan. So this is terrifying. I mean, it's and terrifying. <laughs> and not to take away from her her abilities as a storyteller, uh, but like, Captain Murderer, really? I know. I know. <laughs> could have done better. Like, there could have been a better name. Come on. I know. It's kind of funny. Now, Dickens later wrote about these tales. He said, so acutely did I suffer from the ceremony that I sometimes used to plead. I thought I was hardly strong enough and old enough to hear the story again just yet, but she never spared me one word of it. Her name was Mercy, though she had none on me. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's a solid burn. <laughs> I know. I was like, his nanny was like Stephen King or something. Right? Like, um... I her mean, name she's... was Mercy, but she had none for me. Like, that's ouch. what he said. I know. Like, who is this nanny? <laughs> like, I mean, at the same time, my husband grew 
grew up watching the Chucky movies and Nightmare on Elm Street. So, like, th- people do this to kids all the time. This is true. This this is true. Now, these early tales not only terrified Dickens, but they also just energized his budding imagination. It got him so fascinated. Dickens also had um, some ghostly literary influences as well. So as a young boy, he also read The Terrific Register, which was a weekly horror magazine. And he later admitted that it frightened my very wits out of my head. So he's he's kind of a scaredy cat. <laughs> like he's loving it, but he's also terrified, which I, I, I can say that because I'm the same way. I love this stuff, but I'm the biggest chicken at the same time. <laughs> Yes, this is the only thing I will say is that officially it's no longer his nanny's fault. It is it's his own damn fault. Yes, because yes. he's reading it to himself. But yeah, no. Uh, speaking as someone else who has anxiety brain, I guarantee you this is budding my imagination, and it's a horror <laughs> show unto itself because I'm combining <laughs> horror movies in my head now, and now I have Freddy Krueger starring in the ring coming through my television screen. Like <laughs> that is not okay, but would it probably make a very good story. So, like, no, I, I I, would put solid money on Dickens having either ADHD or anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So he just can't get enough. Dickens also always admired ghostly fiction and was influenced by authors such as Wilkie Collins, Amelia B. Edwards, Elizabeth Gaskell, and more. And actually, when he was the editor of Household Words, he had these authors' ghostly stories as part of a popular feature in the magazine. So he included them later on. Now, he also did his own spooky research, if you will. He, uh, Dickens once wrote to his friend William Howitt, funny enough, on Halloween night, it was October 31st, 1859, <laughs> Dickens wrote to Howitt about ghosts and asked him whether he knows of any haunted houses whatsoever within the limits of the United Kingdom where nobody can live, eat, Drink, sit, stand, lie, or sleep without sleep molestation. I think he just means being haunted. And that he was ready to pit himself against it. So he's basically like, where is the most haunted house in the United Kingdom? That's where I'm going to do it. I can stay there. I can be there. Gee, so. whose attitude does that remind me of? Where did <laughs> Jess stay in Louisiana? <laughs> And how did she react when she thought her cabin might be haunted? (laughs) Not well. Not well. (laughs) And I feel that's what would have happened to Dickens. I really do. I feel like he would have been like, I can do this. And no, you can't. No, you can't. I mean, if he's of my opinion, like, you're good as long as you don't try to go to sleep. Like, you go caffeinated and you stay up all night and you do not try to go to sleep. Because that's where my boundary kicks in. As soon as I'm trying to go to sleep, everyone needs to leave me alone. Yeah, and that's the worst when you're sleeping and then you wake up in the middle of the mm, night. Mm, mm, that's mm, that's mm, the worst. That's the, Even in my own house, sometimes when I wake up and it's like 3 a.m., I'm like, mm, don't like it. Don't don't like this. <laughs> no, no. Like, when you're trying yeah. to, like, rest and be in that frame of mind, that is not for the ghostly encounters, which unfortunately is when they come in the most because our minds are finally at rest and they can get through better, yeah. which is understandable, but also rude. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> True. <laughs> Too funny. <laughs> now... <laughs> Now, Dickens was also fascinated with mesmerism, which we know a little bit about. He was what he called a dabbler, and he was fascinated with it. And he would boast in letters of his magnetic powers 
Though I have to preface, I don't know that he actually really believed in these magnetic powers because I think he just believed that people could be influenced and like people that felt they were under these powers or being haunted by spirits. He kind of called them out in modern day terms of just being like having anxiety, basically, or it's all in their head. So I don't know how much he actually believed in mesmerism, but he seemed fascinated by it. And just for fun, he also loved magic tricks. He loved doing magic (laughs) tricks, which I think is super cute. For a lot of his tricks, he used a handkerchief. And for one trick, he turned his pocket handkerchief into a comfit, which was a sweet treat made of dried fruit or nuts covered in sugar. But also his daughter talked about how he would like in quotations, light his handkerchief on fire, but then of course it would be perfect, you know, so that was another little trick he would do, but he loved magic. All in all, Dickens was what they considered a fascinated skeptic, and he was a staunch skeptic all his life. So surrounded by the spiritualism craze that arrived to England from America in the 19th century, which we know about, Dickens believed more in the scientific theory of the day that paranormal phenomenon was a physiological basis that apparitions were basically the result of, as Dickens put it, a disordered condition of the nerves or senses. After Dickens' death, his friend and biographer John Foster wrote that Dickens had a hankering after ghost and was convinced that Dickens would have, and these are in quotes, fallen into the follies of spiritualism had it not been for the strong restraining power of his common sense. So that's kind of how he rolled. You really can see Dickens' own skepticism in his character of Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. That's the perfect example, especially in the passage where he dismisses the ghost of his former partner, Marley, as a slight disorder of the stomach. Yes, there is more of gravy than of grave about you. Yeah, exactly. And so they always point to that would have been kind of Dickens' reaction. That, 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 there he is right in that moment. Not going to lie, though, I always liked that line because I think that's part of why we take him more seriously as Mm -hmm. a character is because, like, if you acknowledge what the mundane answers and reasons could be and then you're entertaining the idea of Mm -hmm. a spirit, it's way more engaging and terrifying than if you're just like, I heard a bump, it's a ghost, we're all going to die. That's true. It's very true. Exactly. According to the Charles Dickens Museum curator, Emily Dunbar, she said, Charles Dickens spent his whole writing life surrounding himself with ghosts. We believe he was a fascinated skeptic with a powerful talent for creating ghost stories and images that resonated with and entertained people. Now, Dickens' own feelings about the supernatural probably followed Scrooge's, considering ghosts to be more gravy than grave, like you said. (laughs) But he recognized the power that ghostly tales could wield and hugely enjoyed writing and performing them. So, and um, so just adding to that, despite his skepticism, Dickens' fascination with spirits really never diminished throughout his life, which to me, it makes me think that he was always searching. It kind of makes me think of Houdini. Like they were skeptics, but I think they believed enough that they were always wanting, I think he wanted to be proven wrong. Like, he wanted to be proven that this is real. Why else would you seek out a haunted house if you don't believe in this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I had this, I had a similar idea when we get into his skepticism because, like, he's too rational to not mm-hmm. question, like, well, what's causing this? What else could be happening? Yeah. Like, 
if he was in modern ghost hunting shows, he'd be like, yeah, the EMP is going off. There's a phone power right there. Like other things set these machines off. Like he'd be that person, Mm -hmm. which when they experience apparitions are way more intensely dealt with, but it happens so rarely in what we hear that like, he he wanted it like i'm with you i think yeah. he wanted to experience the supernatural and he wanted to he experience spirits but he could see the logic and rationale behind so many of the mundane reasons he was like mm-hmm. hard to convince yes but yeah he, i think yeah so i'm too. with you i think he wanted to believe but he had very little opportunity to do so it does seem like though he's not as jaded as houdini no i agree i agree 100 percent. yeah Absolutely. And and it's funny because um, he actually once told a fellow writer that he said, don't suppose that I am so bold and arrogant as to settle what can and what cannot be after death. So hmm. I think there, there's a little hint at that. Now, the skepticism made him a perfect founding member of London's Ghost Club. Ooh. And... Exactly. So the Ghost Club was founded in 1862, and it lasted nearly a decade. And it began with a group of Cambridge academics in the 1850s. It was a small group of, of course, only male, but male intellectuals with the purpose of investigating supernatural encounters with the intention of exposing frauds. I mean, Houdini could have been a part of this group. that tracks. (laughs) Yeah. And, and this was a perfect fit for Dickens, as he was always trying to find ordinary reasons, like you said, for extraordinary happenings. Now, one of the club's first investigations was the Davenport Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Oh, yeah. That's who they were looking we into. We know about we them, do. too. We do. And we know how well that went. <laughs> we do. But, hey, y'all remember how uh, at the one of the earlier episodes, we talked about how we have to piece this entire history into like biographies yes. and occasionally timelines because all of these people overlapped. Hey, all these people overlapped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those poor Davenport brothers. Every time I think of them, I think of them just tearing down their cabinet and they just kept rebuilding. They just oh kept that fancy schmancy like six foot cabinet on two <laughs> foot pedestals and tying the special dots and then running away to Australia and then one of them dying. Yeah, no. <laughs> so there we go. <laughs> But they are a part of this story. They are. They they had run-ins with Dickens. Like, he was everywhere. He was. Now, Dickens also attended numerous seances, investigating the mediums and claims, and more often than not, debunking the phony phantoms. And he wasn't the only writer. Uh, over the years, dozens of writers joined the Ghost Club, but they also had lecturers that joined doctors barristers, members of the police force, and other public figures. And it's interesting because I want to do a whole episode on the Ghost Club. Like, this is an episode. But when I was looking into it, it first started out as, like, more skeptics. And then as it went over in the years, it kind of evolved into believers and basically spiritualists. I mean, it kind of, like, shifted gears a little bit over the years. We've got to cover the Ghost Club. Yeah, Houdini would have been, like, a founding member. Oh, yeah, he'd have been all over this. Yep. Dickens does die at the age of 58 on June 9th, 1870. He was buried in Poets Corner in Westminster Abbey. Not surprisingly, thousands of mourners gathered outside his gravesite. His passing was described as an event worldwide, a unique of talent suddenly extinct. And it's really only appropriate that Dickens and his ghost stories continue to 
haunt people after his death. <laughs> there are even reports of him appearing at seances and claims that he told mediums the ending of his unfinished novel, The Mystery of Edwin Drood. So <laughs> he kept going even in death. He did. I mean, how many different versions of A Christmas Carol do we enjoy every year? Like, There are so many. Okay, so I have to ask then, which one's your favorite? At the moment, because I finally watched it the day before yesterday, I'm going to have to go with Spirited with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. That's awesome. It was so good. If only because like it kind of teases out an option for the question that, I mean, I don't know if you ever asked this one, but I know I had other people ask me about it when I was a kid. Did he stay good after the story ended? Mm. Like, how long does the change last? And <laughs> in this movie, if you don't mind a spoiler. So spoilers for everyone, like for like two minutes. I'm not going to give away the whole story. <laughs> Basically, Scrooge's change lasts the rest of his life. Uh-huh. Three whole weeks because the leading killer in his time period was January. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but that exploration, like the idea of like, well, how long does the change last? That's a question I've had people ask me when like we were we'd watch the Christmas Carol. Like, right. how long did it even stay good? Like, we don't know. And this kind of like it takes a, a version of it and explores the idea because there's also like the afterlife and the continuing of changing of people. So like there's a whole thing. Right. With it. It's definitely right. worth watching. It's on Apple TV right now. Find a friend who has an account and steal their password. Like watch it. It's delightful. <laughs> That's awesome. But in general, not counting that one, which is brand right. new. I'm going to have to go with Mickey's Christmas Carol. Oh, I love that one so much. I spent years trying to find a copy of it. People told me I was making things up. Like, I think I spent eight years with people telling me this was not a real movie. (gasps) And I'm like, no, it was playing in the emergency room when I had my appendix out. Do not lie to me. Oh, no. And then I finally found it later. and I felt very vindicated. And I told everybody who told me that it wasn't real. Like, (laughs) neener, neener, neener. I found it. It's only like a half hour long. But I love... The way they have, like, it's the giant from Jack and the Beanstalk who plays the Ghost of Christmas present. Aww. It's got Scrooge McDuck. Like, this is why we know him. It's it's, it. It, it's 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 my secret little happy place in my soul. <laughs> and then the one I actually watch the most often is definitely Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> okay, that that one's not my top favorite, but that one's a close second. That That's right down on my like, list. Like, it's not my favorite, but it's the one I watch the most often. Like... I was literally watching it decorating the tree this weekend. <laughs> yes, and the music's amazing in it. It's fantastic. Like, it is. Like, I want the soundtrack for that movie. Yeah, that, that's a favorite. My favorite's when the little mice are, like, freezing, and then when he, like, screams at them, and they're like, this is my island yeah. in the sun. <laughs> that is my favorite part of that whole movie he for rang. some reason. I don't know why I would would rewind that when I was little and just watch that part because it's delightful they're pulling directly from Muppets Treasure Island into Muppets Christmas Carol and it is delightful no that one's brilliant I love that one I think my my top one is Scrooged ah Bill Murray nice choice that one's all like weirdly even since I was like little little that one's always been my favorite I know Hmm. I don't know why my husband doesn't really like it, but I 
I don't know. I've just always loved that one. And it's a well, little darker, too. Not for nothing, but who's the star of that one? I know, Bill Murray. And, and I know right now there's some, like... Well, not even that one. Bit. I'm saying, what else is he in that you are in love with? Oh, Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's probably what it is. <laughs> I think the actor involved <laughs> had an effect on your child's psyche. <laughs> yeah, no, it probably did. But, like, every Christmas, that's the one I want to watch. And um, Chris always laughs for people that know... Okay, you know the fairy? I think it's the Ghost of Christmas Past... That's like, Lottie dot Chris says that's me because I am kind of like that. <laughs> like, at the first time he ever watched that with me, he was like, this is you. And it's kind of true because I'll be like, I love you. I love you. And then like run up and hit him or something. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And I'm like, that's very, not very violent fair. hit, like love hits. Not that's going to sound terrible. Like, I just run up and punch my husband. <laughs> love, like, not like that. But I, I'm like, I am kind of like her a lot. That's hard to argue. I feel like you have slightly better focus than she does. Yeah. But that's the only but... thing I can say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that's mine. I think he dreads it every time he's like, are we watching this? I'm like, uh, yeah, it's Christmas right? time. And I mean, there's like 50 <laughs> other ones. Like my dad's favorite version yeah. of the Christmas Carol is one that came out in the 80s that I hardly ever watch. I think there's one with Patrick Stewart that I think I've seen once. There's one from the 50s. Yeah. Oddly enough, I don't really care for the CGI'd one with Jim Carrey. I don't like that either. And I feel like I've tried to watch it a couple of times. Same. And I'm just like, I can't get into this one. I, I agree. I don't like that one either. I think my, is the one from the, I think my husband likes the one from the 80s. Is it like very classic and. It's the one where when he pulls the robe aside to show the child, the children of like poverty and despair uh-huh. or something like those kids haunted my dreams for years. <laughs> that was my dad's favorite. That- so I'm like, I blame I blame him for why I don't, and also why I like ghosts, um, but also why I don't like that one. Oh, my, no. Those kids freak me out. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's my husband's favorite. Yeah, that part is, that part is, twi- it's scary. Yeah. I mean, it's valid, it's and it's definitely jarring, which was right. the point of the moment right. in the story. Like, it's, Dickens was not pulling punches when it came to his commentary on society. No. Like, I mean, I already talked no. about the spirits in his other books, but yo, the way he nails society's foibles and flaws. Like, mm-hmm. I also want your husband's opinion on Bleak House because the entire purpose is how the jury's the the justice system in England screws people. Oh, yeah. That is the theme of the book. Wow. He's probably read it. He's read so much yeah, more than me. But like, yeah, he's 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 I need to find out. Dickens is dead on when it comes to his commentary on society. It's really impressive. Oh, no, absolutely. And it makes sense. I mean, especially after what he went through in his childhood and just. First hand experience. Exactly. Exactly. No, this is so cool because I feel like doing this one. I learned so much because I honest to goodness, before we started this, I thought it would just be Charles Dickens Christmas Carol done. Like I learned like, oh, it doesn't stop there. I mean, so it was a very cool one to research. And and I didn't know his fascination with ghosts. As, I mean, I knew he obviously had to have some kind of interest, but I had no idea how far it went. I'm, I'm actually going to circle it back to Doctor Who again. It was actually an episode of Torchwood where we are introduced to Charles Dickens characters and stuff. And I'm like, oh, he's way spookier than I thought he was. And that's what kind of triggered this episode in my brain when we were watching this, when we were figuring this out years later. I also have a uh, a, a Dickens haunting to share if you <gasps> want to hear about it. Yes, um, of course we do. So, Mr. Dickens himself haunts a hotel 
in Boston, Massachusetts. Wait, the P- American Hotel? American Hotel, exactly. Um, so you already talked about how he was on his tour of the U.S. in the 40s. Well, mm-hmm. during his America Doesn't Suck As Much As I Said The First Time tour <laughs> from 1867 to 1868, um, like he was next level celebrity and he was staying in Boston. He was apparently booked at the Parker House, Boston's most opulent hotel, and it had luxuries like hot and cold running bath water. Ooh. And he was given a spacious apartment on the third floor. Uh, suit 130, or not suit, suite 138, 139. <laughs> and that was where he lived for the six months he was in the U.S. And he would spend endless hours practicing his readings before a large arched mirror in a walnut frame. Like, you know how you said he was, he'd read A Christmas Carol 127 times? Yes. And then, like, the scenes from the Pickwick Papers, he rehearsed them, like lots of us do, in front of a mirror. Awesome. And he gave his last Boston reading on April 8th, 1868, and he left Boston two days later, never to return, because he didn't (laughs) live here. Like, I don't know why they write it that way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But what's cool is that the original hotel building was torn down in the 1920s. Mm. And it was replaced with more modern accommodations at the same place. Right. And although Dickens' suite of rooms is gone, the door of his room and the mirror (gasps) were saved. A wrecking crew worker recognized the door and donated it to the Bostonian Society, who placed it in storage. And in 2015, uh-huh. the society returned the door to the hotel. Very cool. It's like it's in a small museum on the hotel's ground floor, and it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And then the mirror was put at the end of the hall on the, I think it's the oh. mezzanine level. But the fun part is that, what, how, what does the quote say? Um, so the mirrors from the rooms of the Parker House occupied by Charles Dickens from 1867 to 1868, authenticated by the Boston branch of the Dickens Fellowship, like they prove that mm. it is the mirror. And mm-hmm. it hangs at the end of the corridor on the hotel's mezzanine. Okay, good. I was right. Uh, the mirror is around four feet wide and six feet tall. It's mounted on an arched and intricately carved walnut frame. And part of the text next to it says, look closely and see reflections of Dickens as he practiced a Christmas carol. Because a lot of people oh. claim that the mirror is haunted by an echo of Dickens. It said that if guests gaze deeply into the mirror, they might see the renowned author dressed in his performance attire. And others report saying that Charles Dickens three times before the mirror will cause the nearby elevator bells to chime. Like the chimes! (laughs) I love that! That is so cool! Isn't that awesome? That is. That's very cool. Oh, I'm going to be Googling that. I love it. Yes, we need to, like, whenever we go to Boston, like, even if we don't stay in the Omni, mm-hmm. we need to go and check out the mirror on the mezzanine. I want to see yes. it, and I want to see if I can see him. That's so cool. So they said you say his name three times. I mean, that has echoes of Bloody Mary, so I don't know how I feel I, about well, that Well, that's part. what I was kind of thinking. Like, I'm like, it sounds like Bloody Mary. <laughs> exactly. But, no, I definitely want to see the mirror, though, because, like, yeah. I mean, you know that mirrors freak me out, and this is one that's known to be haunted by a specific person. Person. like i will probably walk into the building and walk right back out again but i want to try <laughs> yes well and he wouldn't be someone scary like he's he, he would be fine and i i also think of people have always believed mirrors are like portals mm-hmm. or, so. i absolutely believe that i saw like through the looking glass 
um, and Adventures in Wonderland way too much as a child. I saw Alice go <laughs> through the mirror to hang out with people on the other side, and it freaks up my head. And I also watched Hug a Bunch, where she went through the mirror into the other side. And yeah, no, no. My childhood affected me, much like Dickens affected his. <laughs> Mirrors freak me out. Please and thank you. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for sharing that. What a cool way to end it. I love it. With a, his own yeah, ghost story. He's still here today, not just influencing us through pop culture and more iterations of the Christmas Carol we can count, but he himself <laughs> is still delivering a Christmas Carol through the mirror. Very cool. Well, I love it. Well, this has been fun and it really sets the stage for the holiday season. Yeah, I'm excited. Let's Yuletide cheer and... And solstice is coming and all the all the fun happiness of the Texas December, which is going to be too warm. I need to. Re- we have air conditioning. It's OK. I will yes. only be a little bit bitter in the later episodes we record this month. I promise to keep my <laughs> attitude and check everyone. And if I don't, you are welcome to yell at me on our social medias. But the only catch is that you have to get on our social medias in order to yell at me. This is true. This is true. (laughs) Aw. But thank you all so much for listening. And I mean, if you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and appease the podcast gods by leaving us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, while you're there, hit subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. And like Caitlin said, we want to hear from you. So let us know what you think about this episode. And if there are any other spirited topics you want us to explore in future episodes, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod, or you can email us at Calling All Spirits Pod at gmail.com. And if you're feeling lucky, you can try one of the tricks of the Ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. But we've already been pretty clear about how we don't like being disturbed while we sleep. So maybe, maybe just stick with the email. Like that seems yeah. like a really clear way to make sure your message doesn't come across garbled and don't show up in caitlin's mirrors either no (laughs) caitlin will have an ectoplasm related conniption fate if you show up in my mirrors please and thank you no i will not take it well and my landlord will wonder why all the mirrors in the house are broken so we're saying email 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 is a really good option facebook (laughs) instagram email all of them are valid We promise we'll respond. And thank you again all so much for listening. Until next time. Bye, guys. Bye.